Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I wanted to take a moment and tell you about one of my favorite companies, Paleo Valley. They make some of the world's best health products, and I really love their Essential C Complex, which is one of the only immune-boosting products on the market that's made from whole food sources of vitamin C that your body can effectively absorb. You see, most vitamin C products only contain a fraction of vitamin C called ascorbic acid. This is the synthetic form of vitamin C, and it's often processed with GMO corn. With Essential C Complex, you get the full spectrum of vitamin C with all the additional nutrients, minerals, and bioflavonoids that make it so powerful in the first place, the way nature intended. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains three of the most potent sources of vitamin C on the planet, the unripe acerola cherry, the amla berry, and the kamu kamu berry. The acerola cherry alone is 120 times more potent than an orange. The daily recommended amount of vitamin C was decided upon based on the amount of vitamin C you need to not get scurvy, not really the amount you need for a stronger immune system. And this is why Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains 750% of your daily recommended value of vitamin C, completely sourced from nature, so you can thrive, not just survive. You see, vitamin C is an extremely fragile nutrient, and it can very easily lose potency if it's not processed correctly. So Paleo Valley has worked with the most responsible manufacturers they could find to gently break down each of these fruits. And to guarantee no vitamin C was lost in the processing, they recruited a non-biased third-party tester to confirm it contains the amount they've put on the label. Because in times like these, when everything seems uncertain, your immune system shouldn't be. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex is non-GMO, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and made with all organic superfoods. No fillers or flow agents that you'll find in most supplements. Nothing weird, just food. Check out paleovalley.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS, just simply my last name, JOCKERS, J-O-C-K-E-R-S today to get 15% off your order. On this podcast, I'm being interviewed by Dr. Julie Fouché, who is one of the great doctors over at wildhealth.com. They have a great system. Check them out, wildhealth.com. And they also have a popular podcast called the Wild Health Podcast. So check them out. And in this interview, I talk all about brain health. I talk about neuroplasticity, synaptogenesis. I talk about nerve growth factor, brain-derived neurotropic factor. I talk about these really powerful neurology concepts and tie-in nutrition, how nutrition plays such a key role 
in our brain health, in our ability to think sharply, quickly, to have great memory, and to really thrive in life. I talk about how to stabilize your blood sugar, how to reverse insulin resistance. And I also go through a little bit more of my story, my journey early on in the podcast, and how I got to where I am today and some health challenges that I had to overcome. So you guys are in for a treat with this podcast. And if you have not left us a five-star review, now's the time to do that. Go to Apple iTunes, wherever you listen to this podcast, and leave us a five-star review. When you do that, that helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our community, and let's go into the show. I'm excited to be here today with Dr. David Jockers, so thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, so a little bit of background. I'm going to read your bio first, which is always awkward while you're while you're sitting here listening. But Dr. Jockers is a doctor of natural medicine. He runs one of the most popular natural health websites, drjockers.com, which has over a million monthly visitors and has been featured on popular media such as The Dr. Oz Show and Hallmark's Home and Family. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough and The Fasting Transformation. He's a world-renowned expert in the areas of ketosis, fasting, and functional nutrition, and is also the host of the popular Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast. So thank you again so much for joining me today. Absolutely, Julie. Really great to be on with you. I love what you guys are doing at Wild Health. Awesome. Well, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about your background and how you came into this field of natural medicine. You're obviously, you know, you have a, a wide reach and are able to help a lot of people optimize their health, but what led you down this path? Yeah, you know, growing up, I was an athlete. And so I want to do everything I could to perform at my best. And of course, you know, I was eating processed foods and all kinds of junk when I was growing up. My mom was actually studying to become a naturopath. So she was trying to get all of, our, all of us and her family to eat healthy. My dad very much rebelled. And so us as kids, we did as well. But <laughs> My mom started really appealing to my desire to perform well, and she would tell me about how foods impacted my performance, and that really made an impact on me. It really oh, mom, yeah, diet and uh, adopt a healthier approach, and uh, I ended up becoming a personal trainer when I was in college, and I, I really enjoyed that. And uh, you know, back then I was eating six meals a day, five thousand calories, you know, whatever I could to maintain my muscle mass. And I developed irritable bowel syndrome, right? So I okay. ended up losing 30 pounds, developed orthostatic hypotension, where I go from sitting to standing and I would feel really, really dizzy. Um, started having a lot of symptoms like that. And uh, I was actually starting graduate school uh, to become a chiropractor. And uh, one of my friends said, hey, you know, you should check out this website, drmercola.com. And uh, I got, somebody gave me a book, uh, The Maker's Diet by Jordan Rubin. These guys are now my friends. And so I started reading these books and I said, you know what? And back then I was a vegetarian. Um, I was like a lacto ovo vegetarian where I'd eat, I consumed dairy products and eggs, mm -hmm. but I thought meat was bad, right? And I, would, I was all about whole grains and things like that. So, you know, Dr. McCullough had a book called The No Grain Diet. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to try this out. So it changed my diet um, and it made a huge difference in my health uh, and I got fat adapted, which I didn't even understand that idea back then. This is back in 2005. Mm -hmm. But because I was fat adapted, my body was really good at burning fat because I, I came off of the grains and the sugars and I was consuming lots of protein, healthy fats, and a lot of phytonutrient rich foods. Uh, my, my body, you know, I was very satiated. And so I also had early morning classes uh, in graduate school. 
And, uh, you know, I started uh, just fasting in the morning and I didn't even understand the term intermittent fasting, but I realized I felt significantly better when I would do this. And, uh, you know, I was able to regain my muscle, my muscle mass back, my energy, my weight, in fact, felt better than I've ever felt. And, uh, you know, from there, I started my own natural health clinic in uh, 2009, opened it up, actually lived in my office for two years while I paid off my student loans, I actually opened <laughs> it on credit cards. I mean, it was the economy. I crashed, couldn't get a business loan. Kind of a crazy <laughs> Great story. timing, yeah. Yeah, crazy story. But I started that out, out here in Georgia, uh, close to where I went to graduate school and had a lot of success. And I was teaching community health programs or I was teaching um you know every monday night i would do a big workshop in my clinic and and we'd open it up we'd have 50 60 people in there on heart health on ways to improve your your sleep right and all these different strategies and i realized people were really starving for this information and uh, i started putting it together on in a you know website format as well and that really took on a life of its own and uh, you know eventually um, you know, I was reaching so many people online that I decided I wanted to do that full time. So I hired other doctors to run my clinic, eventually sold my clinic. And, uh, you know, my website has just been able to help. We've had millions, over 100 million people come to my website over the last 12 years. And uh, it's just been, um, been great, been great to be able to help people all over the world, making videos, podcasts and blog content and really help people reach their full health potential. And, you know, for me, I'm, I, I just really love understanding how the body works. I've always had a love for that, just anatomy and physiology, um, understanding biochemistry, and just, uh, I'm always looking for ways to biohack my own health and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, strategies, easy strategies that people can apply to improve their own health. Oh, that's awesome. Well, so cool to hear about how, you know, the impact of your mom and, you know, glad you had early morning classes that helped you to understand how fasting could impact your health. And now they're able to share all that with the general population. That's really cool. And, and doing intermittent fasting before was cool. Like it is nowadays. Yeah. I'd never heard the term when I started doing it. It wasn't until about four or five years later that I was like, Oh my gosh, that's actually what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So how did you, you know, you went, towards this more from this more vegetarian grain-based diet into more of a, you know, carnivorous, carnivorous diet. Um, how did you start learning? You were learning about fasting, but how did you start learning and understanding the impact of a ketogenic diet or ketosis on our health and specifically on our brain health? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I, back when I first started this sort of approach, I had never heard the term ketogenic diet or ketones. In fact, back then we used to call it the cellular healing diet because we knew that mm -hmm. all the cells, you know, you have a, a, a double lipid bilayer, meaning that there's kind of basically um, two fats, right, on it's two, two parts of the membrane on all the cells and there's a fat on both sides. And so if you're going to be healthy, you got to have healthy fats when you're consuming bad damage rancid fats that creates really damaged cells right in a damaged cellular structure and so we got to get rid of those bad fats this is this is what i used to teach people back in the day and so we needed fats we needed to change over our cellular environment by making sure that we got rid of bad fats all your processed vegetable and seed oils and trans fats all the man-made fats and you know really really focus on healthy saturated fats monounsaturated fats and then omega-3 fatty acids and getting the right ratios and the right amounts in there. And that would change over your cellular structure. We also knew that we needed to keep insulin down and keep our blood sugar stable. And so eating a diet that was higher in protein, higher in 
uh, polyphenols and micronutrients, as well as these healthy fats, did that. Okay, and it wasn't until years later that I found out the ketogenic diet. And actually, this is actually what happened. I was living in my clinic, um, showering across the street at a 24-hour gym, working, you know, single back then, no family. So I was working like 70, 80 hours a week, um, which I'm sure you can kind of relate <laughs> to coming out of med, med school or, you know, wherever you came out mm -hmm. of, um, to, to really get my clinic established and whatnot. And um, I was actually sleeping under the power panel in our in oh, wow. And I had back then, um, you know, I used to take x-rays on patients and I had a chemical x-ray unit in the bathroom that was like right next to where I was sleeping. So I was exposed yeah. to all these toxins and I actually developed skin cancer on my nose. Oh. And I grew up in Florida on the beach, had been sunburnt when I was younger, a lot more than somebody should. My grandfather actually died from a metastatic melanoma. So it was mm -hmm. skin cancer was in my family, family mm -hmm. history. And I realized, you know, my life was way out of balance. I was stressed out, wasn't sleeping well, was being exposed to a lot of different toxins, um, you know, just working around the clock. And so I, I went, I had some money at that point. Um, I bought the closest available house to my, uh, to my clinic, moved out of my clinic. Um, <laughs> Get out of that toxic I, environment. Yeah, I hired yeah. an associate doctor to reduce my workload. Started really, really focusing on good sleep, stress management, um, really focusing on my spiritual life. And this is also when I came across the ketogenic diet. In fact, Dr. Thomas Seyfried, who is yes. a researcher, Boston mm -hmm. College, um, he had written a book called The Metabolic Theory of Cancer, I believe, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I started reading this book and he, it really made a lot of sense in how cancer grows and develops in cancer as a metabolic disease where the mitochondria are no longer able to go through beta oxidation and, and produce energy from fats. And so they rely primarily, the cell relies on uh, energy through glycolysis and the byproduct of that being lactic acid and um, that they are basically obligate anaerobic, uh, you know, glucose metabolizers, right? So they can't break down fat uh, for energy effectively. And so I realized, you know, this might be a, a good approach. And so I went on a five-day water fast and followed a very low carb ketogenic style diet. And um, that along with you know, a lot of other things that I was doing to help detoxify and heal my body, I was able to heal that cancer naturally and um, you know, really regain my health and my, and my life. And so that was kind of my forelay into it. And then I just started teaching it. This is probably 2012, 2013. Um, so very early in the ketogenic diet space. And so I started teaching that approach um, and I was already teaching it. I just understood the terminology, understood a little bit more of the science. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, then it, it, it really picked up steam and got a lot more popular, uh, probably around 2015, 2016 or so. But we're, we're tying it back to the brain. We know that uh, in the brain, so we know the brain depends on uh, metabolizing glucose for energy. So we know that we were taught that in medical school. Okay, but what we weren't taught is that the brain can also produce energy through ketones. So it does need glucose. That's why we always have some level of circulating blood sugar. Um, we need it for our brain. But ketones, while the brain cannot use fatty acids for energy because fats are too big to cross the blood-brain barrier, the liver actually takes fatty acids and converts them into ketones. And ketones are water-soluble molecules that are smaller than fat can cross that blood-brain barrier and are a great energy source for the brain cells. And they also help when, when the ketones are elevated in the bloodstream, they actually create 
new mitochondria within the cells. And so we know the brain is the most dense area outside of the testes and the ovaries. The brain is the most dense area. Neurons are the most dense area for mitochondria. Mitochondria produce all the energy within the cells. And so when ketones are elevated in the bloodstream and insulin is lowered, like what happens when you're fasting or when you have a, where you're on a ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. the body says, okay, I really need to get a lot better at burning fat for fuel. I'm going to produce more of these mitochondria. So we get more mitochondria production. We also have something happens where we break down old damaged mitochondria. This is a process. The overall process is called autophagy. But when it's specific to mitochondria, we call it mitophagy. And it's one of the most powerful mechanisms for healing, for biohacking your body, for improving your overall energy, mental performance, reducing the effects of aging is actually repairing damaged mitochondria. And the body will naturally do this when insulin is down, when insulin's below a certain threshold and ketones are elevated in the bloodstream. And so the body starts doing that in these brain cells. It also turns off inflammation in the brain. There's uh, these receptor patterns that are called uh, the inflammasome, which is basically like an Im- inflammation amplifier. And the body is kind of hardwired to protect against any sort of infection from getting into vital organs like the brain or nervous system and create you know, encephalitis or meningitis or something like that, which makes sense because those kind of conditions can kill you quickly. The way the body does that is it turns up inflammation, right? Creates this inflammatory process. In particular, it amplifies inflammation. It needs like a switch that it can hit that will just ramp up inflammation throughout the entire system. And that's really what the inflammasome does. So when the body is under a lot of stress, when there's a lot of reactive oxygen species um, turning up, or when there are pathogen-associated pattern, uh, whatever it's called, PAMPs. Recognition markers. Yeah, recognition markers, right? DAMPs and PAMPs, danger-associated, you know, recognition markers or whatever, and pathogen-associated ones, then it, it turns up this inflammatory storm. However, when ketones are elevated, it turns down that inflammatory storm. And so it reduces inflammation. It helps balance these two neurotransmitters, glutamate and GABA. We know glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter, meaning that it helps create more activation, right? So it helps us think sharply and quickly. That's the benefit of glutamate. It allows us to think sharply and quickly to react to our environment. But when it's turned up, And it is out of balance with GABA. GABA is like the brakes. Glutamate is like the gas pedal, right? When it's out of balance, then we get agitated. We have anxiety, irritability, aggression. We're over-aggressive, right? We can can be more tired because also we have higher levels of excitability. We also have trouble with focus and attention, right? We have this wired and tired type of feeling where it's like we're, we're like, we can't actually sleep, but we know we're fatigued. And so GABA really helps balance that. And ketones in the brain, elevated levels of ketones have been shown to balance out the glutamate to GABA ratio. So you can think sharply and quickly, but you don't get burnt out, right? You don't have irritability. In fact, a lot of research showing that it really improves depression, anxiety, a lot of these types of mental health conditions. So some tremendous benefits there. Ketones also help elevate something called brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF, which is like miracle growth for the brain. BDNF helps 
with sprouting new neurons, new neuronal connections. We call them synapses, these little gaps in between the brain. Synapses are primarily, they're, they're especially important for deep levels of thinking, creativity, kind of thinking outside the box, linking different thoughts and memories together. In fact, at Stanford, they looked at Albert Einstein's brain and they wanted to look at his brain mass and see what is different about his brain versus you know, somebody else of comparable size and age, you know, that was one of his peers, but, you know, not a scientist, um, not somebody that had, you know, incredible breakthroughs. And so they, they studied these brains together and they thought at first their hypothesis was he probably had a lot more neurons. And what they found was that he had the same amount of neurons as, you know, average individual um, with the same brain mass. However, he had, I think it was like four to five times more synapses in his brain, right? Meaning that he just had significantly more um, of these little branching patterns in the brain that was that allowed him to connect deep and complex thought patterns, right? Deep memories, and that gave him a wider range of thinking, which you know is kind of is somewhat credited with uh, you know allowing him to have some of these breakthrough discoveries. And so, the more synaptic density, the deeper these healthy synapses, because you can also have unhealthy synapses, unhealthy neurological patterns. You know, it's this whole process of neuroplasticity that we can get into later if you want to. Um, we, we can circle back to that. But, you know, these these synapses, having really healthy synaptic patterns is associated with a really healthy brain and a brain that's going to be able to prevent as long as you continue to activate these, um, you know, neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's and dementia. And so ketones have been shown to boost BDNF, which increases synaptic density, increases neuronal growth and neuronal uh, connections. And so it's just tremendous benefits. I mean, I can go on and on about the <laughs> Yeah, there's a, it seems like endless benefits. I'd love to, to step back there for a minute and just ask the question of, you know, there's a lot of benefits of ketones for the brain. Um, but who, who should be thinking about a ketogenic diet? Who would this be for? And then who would it not be for? Yeah. So for a ketogenic diet, you know, number one, you know, and really the, probably the, the number one population group that uh, applies a ketogenic diet is going to be people that are looking to lose weight. And that makes sense because ketogenic diet is really using your own body weight or your own body fat, I should say, as an energy source. So you become a fat burner. Most people out there are sugar burners, meaning that their body is really dependent. Their energy levels are really dependent on where their blood sugar is and their, and their blood sugar is going up and down and they have poor glycemic control and they're not good at breaking into their own body fat and using it as an energy source. So ketogenic diet gets us very metabolically flexible where we're good at burning both our own sugar, right? It's stored sugar in our muscles and liver, as well as our own body fat. So people that are overweight for sure, you know, it's a great person, you know, it's a great candidate for somebody to, uh, to, to, to be on a ketogenic diet. Also people that are concerned about neurodegenerative uh, disease, maybe they have it in their family, um, perhaps they're having early warning signs like forgetfulness, brain fog, um, mood issues, things like that. That can be somebody as well. Um, also, you know, people that have maybe a history of cancer or perhaps they're dealing with cancer as well. A lot of good research on ketogenic diets being an effective strategy for helping slow cancer growth. You know, it's not a cure for cancer, but it's a strategy to help slow the growth and uh, when combined with either, you know, natural or um, conventional cancer therapies can actually be very, very effective 
Um, it's an effective kind of baseline foundational plan for somebody that's trying to heal from cancer. So those would be really, really good candidates. You know, people that I wouldn't recommend a ketogenic diet for are pregnant women. Okay. Now we can still be on a lower carbohydrate, blood sugar stabilizing plan, but you know, when you're pregnant, you certainly shouldn't make it a goal to be in ketosis. That's not, that should, it's not an accurate goal. Also children, um, high level athletes that are, you know, um, exercising for hours a day, not necessarily, uh, you know, the best benefits there with ketogenic diet. Now getting into ketosis, slipping into ketosis from time to time, maybe intermittent fasting or like a few days of low carb at a time, uh, can be beneficial for most people, but following, you know, a ketogenic diet for months at a time, not necessarily beneficial for, you know, a lot of folks out there other than those that I, I mentioned the benefits for. Awesome. Yeah. I think this is one of the interesting things, especially when we talk about the biggest category you mentioned of um, people who maybe have metabolic syndrome or maybe are trying to lose weight where ketosis can be a really powerful tool. Um, but there's also a lot of, at least I I find a lot of diversity in how people respond in terms of some people feel amazing. Um, they lose weight, you know, they reverse their diabetes or whatever chronic condition. Um, other people have these you know, their, their lipids skyrocket. They maybe don't feel like they have a lot of energy and don't tend to respond as well. And that's where I think we try to use genetics as a guide, but they're, they're not always, you don't, you know, you don't always know what you're going to get. So even for example, myself, several years ago, I did a very tightly controlled 12 week ketogenic diet experiment. And based on my genetics, I probably would not have expected my lipids to respond very well, given how much saturated fat I was consuming but everything really seemed to improve. So a lot of times you also, you know, there's so much we still have to learn and we don't know until we do that experiment in ourselves. But I was just curious what you see or, or if you see people not responding well, um, how do you adjust or how do you um, think they should proceed? Yeah, you know, there's certainly a genetic component that some people are going to have an easier time than others. Also, there's a lot of people out there that have sluggish bile flow and poor stomach acid production. And these are people that when they eat a steak, they have acid reflux. They, um, you know, just feel they have brain fog, low energy, right? They just, they just do not perform well. Like they don't feel good. Okay. And that's actually one of the tests I'll do is I'll have them do what we call the steak test where you eat a six ounce steak. Sounds like a fun test. <laughs> yeah. Maybe some salt on it, but you know, no, nothing else, no vegetables or anything because we want to isolate it. We want to see how good is your body at producing stomach acid here to be able to break this down and digest it. And, you know, if you feel, you, normally you should feel really good. It's a very blood sugar stabilizing meal, a lot of protein, healthy fats in there. Again, if you feel sluggish, you have heartburn, you have gas, bloating, this is a sign you're not producing most likely stomach acid. There may be a bile component as well. Um, and that may do, be due to an infection like an H. pylori infection, could be due to overuse of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. You know, there's a number of different conditions that can be associated with this. And so then we want to try to support your stomach acid levels. We might try taking apple cider vinegar beforehand, which stimulates all your digestive juice production, your vagus nerve, to help you be able to break that down. Um, you know, there's different things that we can do. And I go through that, you know, a lot of my, on my website and my videos. Um, but that's kind of one of the first things. We want to see how well does your body respond when we're consuming, you know, a quote unquote ketogenic food or a ketogenic meal and see if, you know, it has to do with what's happening in your gut. Right. And so that's one of the key things when it comes to lipids, not overly concerned. You know, the biggest thing I look at with lipids is your HDL, your triglyceride HDL ratio, which 
always should be under two. I like to see triglycerides always under 100. And ideally that triglyceride HDL ratio is close to one as possible, meaning one part triglyceride, one part HDL. Not overly concerned about where your LDL is. There's actually a response called the lean mass hyper responder where, and I'm actually one of these people where some people that are very low in body fat, they're lean. Okay, when they follow a lower carb diet, their LDL will go up and sometimes quite a bit. However, their triglycerides will be, you know, their triglyceride HDL ratio will be close to one. Their insulin, fasting insulin, will be at its optimal range, which I like to see somewhere between two and six. Um, you know, and, and so like I'll test my, you know, I do my blood work twice a year. My insulin is usually around three, right? And HDL is usually around 70 or so, triglycerides 60, but my LDL might be, you know, 280, right? Or something like that. And this is this lean mass hyperresponder approach. Now, the, the particles are small, I'm sorry, they're, they're large, buoyant LDL particles. We want to make sure they're not the small, dense LDL particles, which are much, much more atherogenic. And we know that they're not if your triglycerides are low and your, you know, your triglyceride to HDL ratio is um, close to one, right? And so and your insulin is low. And so then I've got these a larger amount of LDL particles but they have lots of fat soluble nutrients on them protecting them from oxidative stress so this lean mass hyperresponder um this 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 physiological response is not pathogenic you know i think that we've just been so conditioned to believe that okay high ldl is bad okay but not for everybody it's bad if you have high insulin right if you have high insulin you have more reactive oxygen species you have more inflammation in your body, and then those LDL particles can can very much be oxidized. But if you're ins if you're very insulin sensitive, you have lower amounts of reactive oxygen species, then those LDL particles are not necessarily bad. You know they are obviously bringing a lot of phospholipids and fat soluble nutrients to the cells, meaning that they're going to be protected uh, because they've got these things on their bus. You know they're basically a bus carrying all this cargo to the cell, um, and on top of that, you know they're bringing valuable cellular components out to the cell. So this can be a response. I also think that there's a level of, you know, this lean mass hyperresponder approach also tends to happen with people that exercise a lot, right? More active. And that makes mm -hmm. sense as well because, you know, people that are very active uh, also need more cellular turnover, right? They, they have, they have um, they're breaking down muscle cells, different things like that. So they may need more of this, you know, more phospholipids and things like that being brought out by the LDL to the cell membrane for repair processes. This podcast is sponsored by Liver Health Formula from Pure Health Research. For anyone looking to ignite their fat-burning metabolism, boost their energy, and transform how they look and feel, they must start taking care of their liver. Your liver is your body's master detoxifier. It performs over 500 key functions in your body every single day. It's responsible for cleansing and removing thousands of harmful toxins, man-made chemicals, alcohol, and dangerous food additives and preservatives. And after decades of wear and tear, our livers slow down and they become sluggish. And this is why so many of us struggle with weight gain and feeling tired all the time. Fortunately, there's a simple all-natural solution that I recommend. It's called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. 
It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities. It boosts your energy levels and can kick your natural metabolism into high gear. It also works remarkably well to fight fatty liver, which is a silent epidemic affecting 100 million Americans. And right now, as a listener of our show, you can try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you're going to receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. This powerful blend of omega-3 fatty acids supports a healthy heart and brain with four times better absorption thanks to this special nano-delivery system. You're also getting four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity, regardless of age. Just go to getliverhelp.com forward slash jockers or call toll free at 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of liver health formula and all five bonus gifts. That's get liver help. So G E T L I V E R H E L P dot com forward slash jockers or call 800 282 1757. You're covered by their 365 day money back guarantee. So you have nothing to risk, but supplies are limited. So go head over to get liverhelp.com forward slash chalkers or call toll free at 800-282-1757 now to order liver health formula and claim your five free bonus gifts while you still can. That's getliverhelp.com forward slash chalkers or call 800-282-1757. Yeah, I'm glad you highlighted that. I think that it's such a more nuanced topic than most people realize, especially when it comes to LDL and looking at the different particle sizes and really looking at insulin resistances and inflammation in general as the major drivers of of metabolic syndrome and heart disease risk and cardiovascular disease risk in general. So um, getting into some of the more nuts and bolts of implementing this, I know you mentioned earlier about sort of the good fats and the bad fats. Can we dive into that a little bit? Because I find these days, even some of our, you know, the health food products that you find at the grocery store, you'll find you know, sweet potato chips or, or, you know, things that, that still have, um, oils that may not be the healthiest oils. So how do you counsel people in terms of what types of oils and fats to incorporate when they're doing this higher fat ketogenic diet? Yeah. Such an important question because a lot of people are doing ketogenic diet and they're consuming a lot of refined seed oils. And these refined seed oils are very problematic. They're damaged fats, that drive up inflammation and reactive oxygen species in the body. So we definitely want to avoid corn oil, soybean oil, safflower, cottonseed, sesame, peanut. Um, I think I got them all. How about palm oil? What are your thoughts there? Good question. Palm oil is more of like a neutral oil. I don't see it being necessarily bad. It's primarily a long chain saturated fat. However, if somebody has gut dysbiosis, a lot of long chain saturated fats can be used as a bus that bad bacteria will jump on to get out into the bloodstream and drive up inflammation. So palm oil doesn't really have a lot of antioxidants. I prefer red palm oil because it's got more antioxidants in it and polyphenols that um, that help to reduce bad bacteria in the gut. So not a huge fan of palm oil in general, but I think it's better than canola oil or corn oil or something like that. Now, my favorite fats to use are going to be 
a really high quality, high polyphenol extra virgin olive oil, like a fresh pressed olive oil. I use it, you know, I consume at least two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil every day, high quality, fresh pressed extra virgin olive oil, one of the best things you can put in your body. A lot of research on some of the polyphenols there, like oleocanthal, um, just being powerful for helping as a natural uh, anti-cancer agent, as well as, um, you know, really good for reducing inflammation, right? In fact, they call it, you know, nature's ibuprofen. So really, really <laughs> great for reducing inflammation in the body. So I love that. I also love avocados as just kind of a whole food. I'm not a huge fan of avocado oil. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, a bad fat. Like if you find that, like if you find your, you know, something cooked in that or something, I don't think that's bad, but I don't personally use avocado oil, right? But I do eat the avocado because you've got tons of lutein, zeaxanthin in there. You've got potassium, magnesium, right? You've got all these great trace minerals and, and electrolytes in there. Um, there's actually a type of sugar, even though it's very low sugar, there's a type of sugar in there that really is beneficial for collagen production. People that are eating avocados tend to have more shine in their skin. So they're great. I love grass-fed butter. So grass-fed butter is one of the best sources of conjugate and linoleic acid, which is a really powerful antioxidant. Also rich in all your fat-soluble nutrients, vitamin A, D, E, vitamin K2, as well as choline that's in there, which is really important for the brain. A lot of people are deficient in choline. Same with pasture-raised eggs, another good source of choline and phospholipids for the brain and the cell membranes. So I like that. Beef tallow, grass-fed beef tallow. I'm a big fan of that one as well. Again, great source of conjugated linoleic acid. So that is a really good one too. And coconut oil as well. Coconut oil, somewhat, you know, it's, it doesn't have as much of the saturated fats, more medium chain fats than the palm oils. So that's why it's better than the palm oil. In particular, it has about 15% capric and caprylic acid, which is your C8 and your C10 uh, medium chain fats that turn quickly into ketones. So even though it's, it says it's, you know, 60% medium chain fats, the lauric acid that's in it, um, which is your C12 is not as ketogenic. I mean, it doesn't turn as quickly into ketones, but the C8 and C10, which makes up about 15% of the fats in coconut oil are very ketogenic. And they're also very antimicrobial, meaning that they help to kill off bad bacteria, yeast, things like that. Um, so they can be really, really beneficial. So that's another good fat. And coconut oil is also very stable. Um, so you can cook with it. Um, and really all those, all those fats can be cooked with, including a high, high polyphenol extra virgin olive oil. You will lose some of the polyphenols when you cook with it. Um, but it does have great oxidative stability. So it, it can be cooked with, but I prefer it raw. So I get as much of those polyphenols as possible. And I just like the taste of cooking with grass-fed butter. It's really my favorite oil or favorite fat to cook with because I enjoy the flavor and it's, you know, it's also very stable when it comes to heat. That is quite delicious. Um, you started mentioning, you started talking about the gut microbiome with respect to palm oil, but that's another, I mean, whole topic of in and of itself, but could you just briefly talk about how, about the gut brain axis and how that plays into our brain health and brain longevity? Well, for sure. Well, the gut is one cell wall. So it's like a long tube, but inside that tube is only made up of one cell layer. And they're all, all those cells are connected by tight junctions, right? Think about it like a cheesecloth or like the knitting on a baseball glove, right? And it's kind of just holding it together. And whenever the gut is, is you know, uh, whenever there's inflammation in the gut, it can damage 
the tight junctions and open up the gut. We call that intestinal permeability, or you may have heard the term leaky gut, right? Where the gut lining is damaged and now large molecules can seep into the bloodstream, right? And so that can become very problematic because it turns up inflammation in the body. The body is hardwired to protect against any sort of infectious pathogens getting into the bloodstream in high enough amounts and then driving infection, right? More people have died throughout the history of mankind from chronic systemic infections, things like meningitis, pneumonia, um, encephalitis, right? These types of conditions have killed more people. In fact, even when people, you know, used to get killed in war or, you know, when they're out hunting or whatever it is and they would get an injury, they didn't typically die from, you know, getting a spear to the side or whatever it was. They typically died from the infection that resulted from the flesh wound. And so the body is adapted to protect against the, these infections by, by creating this inflammatory storm. The issue is that the body doesn't know the difference between, you know, us being injured in, you know, a, a fight or a struggle and having a flesh wound and having leaky gut, right? Either way, there's large proteins, abnormal proteins, bacteria, bacterial debris, microorganisms, maybe parasites or yeast or something like that in the bloodstream a lot more than there should be. And so the body turns up inflammation and that inflammation can get into the brain, right? So again, the body's like, okay, wow, these large proteins are in my bloodstream. My brain is susceptible to this infection. I need to turn up inflammation because I would rather survive today, you know, and I'll <laughs> give up some of my, you know, quality of life in order to survive and not get this infection than, um, than die right now from an infection. And that makes sense. The only mm -hmm. issue with this, if this is going on all the time, then we're always inflaming our brain and that's gonna affect our mood, our memory. It's gonna affect our sleep quality. It's gonna affect our overall you know, life potential, right? And our quality of life. And so we've gotta really get that under control. So part of having a healthy brain is really keeping your gut healthy, keeping that um, one cell wall really strong and stress resilient. Now, right above that one cell wall, we have something called the mucosal membrane mucosal membrane in your gut is basically your immune component of the gut. And it makes up about 70 to 80% of your body's overall immune system. You know, people, if you ever ask somebody, Hey, where is your immune system? It's kind of a weird question because your immune system is really all over the place. I mean, it's throughout mm -hmm. your entire body, but primarily it's in the mucous membranes of your body, like your respiratory tract and your gut 70, 80% of that is in your gut. And so we got to keep that mucous membrane really healthy and strong we have and that really is all, very much dependent upon how much wear and tear we have in our gut as well as the makeup of our microbiome and this is where i love intermittent fasting because intermittent fasting really helps with supporting that gut that uh, gut mucosa and supporting the different layers of the microbiome so in our microbiome we have primary feeders and we have secondary feeders the primary feeders typically live like right on the surface of the gut mucosa. The secondary feeders live deep in that, that gut mucosa. So when food comes in, the primary feeders eat first. Okay, they get the preferential amounts and they, and they eat what they need to eat. And if we're continually eating, like you know what is taught in American society, where it's like eat five or six meals a day, eat every few hours, then we are actually overfeeding the primary feeders and they reproduce a lot and they crowd out the secondary feeders and we get an imbalance, right? We also call that, you know, in, in, in the microbiome research, you know, diversity is a really big term. We know that 
the more diverse, the more amount of different types of species in the gut, the healthier the individual is. So when we're constantly feeding, we end up reducing diversity, which creates more inflammation overall in the gut. When we take periods of time without food, some of the primary feeders actually die off, but the secondary feeders now are able to grow. And these, some of these secondary feeders live, they can actually eat the mucosa as part of their diet. In fact, one of the most well-researched is called Ackermansia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means mucus loving, and it's called a keystone bacteria because across the board in microbiome research, it's been shown that having optimal levels, which is slightly high levels of Ackermansia mucinophilia is associated with lower rates of all-cause uh, chronic disease, metabolic disease, inflammatory diseases all across the board. And so the way that we benefit our, or the way that we support our Ackermansia mucinophilia levels, one of the ways is intermittent fasting. Another way is eating a diet rich in polyphenols. I mentioned the olive oil, right? The oleocanthals. And so Ackermansia loves polyphenols and it also loves gut mucosa. And so the intermittent fasting allows it to be able to thrive. And the way that I try to explain this is in my yard, I have an apple tree and I have a blueberry bush. The apple tree sits like right above and it's in front, maybe 10 feet in front of the blueberry bush and it's above it. And every year we have to trim the hedges on the apple trees. We actually have to cut and cause damage to the apple tree or we don't get any blueberries because it crowds it out, overgrows and crowds out any sun from getting to the blueberry bush. So we don't get any blueberries. So we actually have to have to trim it. And so when we trim it, now we get the apples and we get the blueberries. And that's what we have to do with our gut. So when we are doing some level of intermittent fasting, let's say a 16 hour overnight fast, we finish our dinner at, let's say 6 p.m. We don't eat until you know 10 a.m. the next morning. Um, that is trimming down these primary feeders, allowing the secondary feeders to get the nutrition that they need. And of course, eating healthy foods, right? Eating a polyphenol rich diet. So things like dark chocolate, um, coffee, if you are a, a, if you're an okay caffeine metabolizer, I know you guys do a lot of genetic work with that. So if you can metabolize caffeine, okay. Um, you know, coffee is rich in chlorogenic caffeic acid, which are great polyphenols for the gut. Same with, uh, dark chocolate has, uh, uh, catechins that are really good. Green tea has catechins that are really, really good for gut microbiome. You've got obviously your different fruits and vegetables that have a lot of different polyphenols, herbs like turmeric and oregano, you know, rich in polyphenols. So eating a lot of these kind of natural foods that are rich in colors uh, provide, you know, all these different nutrients that both the primary and the secondary feeders really enjoy. And we should be doing that, but we also want to gap, give, give, give our body time uh, you know, whether it's a 16 hour fast or even at, you know, at minimum, I recommend at least a 12 hour overnight fast to give the gut time to clean up, take stress, mechanical stress off of it. So it can heal and repair and trim down some of these primary feeders and allow room for those secondary feeders to grow and develop. And when you do that, the secondary feeders actually break down the mucosa, um, and they stimulate the goblet cells in the intestines to produce more mucosa, right. And actually more stress resilient mucosa. And they will actually produce something called urolithins um, from the polyphenols and from the mucosa, which stimulate the intestinal cells to undergo mitophagy. And I used that term earlier when I was talking about the brain and creating more stress-resilient mitochondria in the brain. Well, it's the same thing in the gut lining. More of these urolithins, 
right? And then we get that them again from something like Ackermansia breaking down polyphenols that are coming from olive oil or pomegranate or cranberry or you know whatever foods we're consuming. Um, the the more stress resilient the intestinal cells will become. And that's what we want. We want really strong, we're, we can't do anything about the fact that it's only one cell wall, right? And that actually benefits us from a nutrient absorption. Uh, a pro, you know, when we think about it from a perspective of optimizing nutrient absorption, it's good that our intestines are only one cell wall. However, the, the downside is we're very, we're very prone to, um, you know, intestinal permeability and leaky gut. And so we need to make sure that that one cell wall is very stress resilient, that it can really handle a lot of stress. And its ability to handle stress depends on its ability or the amount of really strong, healthy, optimally function, functioning mitochondria. And Ackermansia allows those intestinal cells to really function at their best and resist stress at their best. And so we wanna do everything we can to help support that. Just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about Peak Tea. These are amazing teas that are specifically designed to enhance the benefits of fasting, helping you get deeper levels of autophagy and cellular healing, helping to shut down your appetite and support healthy weight management. They're delicious. They won't break your, your fast. They use the highest quality uh, cold brew crystallization that gently preserves active compounds at their maximum potential with no prep or brewing needed. They're 100% organic and triple toxin screen for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold, which is really common in tea. A lot of teas have heavy metals. They've got pesticides. They've got molds. Not with peak tea. It's the highest possible purity, and that's why I love it. This is why my family and I drink this regularly. We really love the bergamot fasting tea. We know that bergamot is loaded with theoflavins to nourish your gut bacteria, support digestion, and boost satiety. And great, it's really great for energy. And bergamot itself is great for, for your skin. It has a flavorful burst of citrus and its oils enhance digestion. They provide unique mood boosting properties. You're gonna love that. They also have the ginger green fasting tea. We know ginger is great for your digestion, great for keeping inflammation under control. We know the catechins in green tea are some of the most powerful immune supportive compounds that you can put in your body. Also really great for stimulating autophagy, down-regulating inflammation in the body. So really, really powerful stuff there. And then you've got cinnamon herbal fasting tea, which is amazing for supporting balanced blood sugar and helping manage cravings. I love the cinnamon herbal fasting tea, really great flavor to that. And guys, Peak is extending a limited time offer just for my audience, you can get 5% off plus a free pouch that comes with 20 premium samples. So you can try different flavors when you purchase the fasting bundle. Head over to peaklife.com forward slash drjockers and use the code drjockers or D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S for a special discount. Guys, Peak has over 15,000, 15,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot of reviews. This has been well-tested. Try it for yourself risk-free with their 30-day satisfaction guarantee, and you'll either love it or you get your money back. So that's peaklife.com, spelled P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S, and use the coupon code Dr. Jockers for a complimentary gift and 5% off. Wow. Um, how about the ketogenic diet in general? Is that something that 
people should cycle on and off of, how long should they do it for, and what impact does the ketogenic diet itself have on the microbiome composition? Yeah, and this is a really good question, and it, it's very nuanced, right? There are some individuals that do very well. I think it's like a bell curve. Like I would say most people are going to do best cycling in and out of ketosis, all right? Some people may not do well. You know, that like I, I would say pretty much everybody's going to do well getting into ketosis for at least like a few days of a year. You know what I mean? However, there are some people that tend to do better on you know, for whatever reason, they do better on like a higher carbohydrate plant-based approach, right? They're on one end of the bell curve. Mm -hmm. Most people do well on kind of like an omnivorous, blood sugar stabilizing, higher protein, healthy fats, you know, low to moderate carbs style diet, kind of going in and out of ketosis from time to time. Um, and then there are some people on the other side of the bell curve that just really, really thrive being in ketosis as much as possible. And so where you are on that spectrum, we don't necessarily know right off the bat. Genetic testing can help, looking at your history, looking at you know what sort of diets you felt best on can really help. Um, and so, you know, I would say follow a ketogenic, a nutrient-dense, polyphenol-rich, high-protein, ketogenic style diet with healthy, you know, focused on healthy fats. So you're saying, so you're saying right. bacon and butter and um, steak is not necessarily the, the you're, way to go. You're only eating those foods. I, mean, I think there are, I think there's some people that tend to thrive on a carnivore style diet, but I mm -hmm. think that's more of the exception than the rule. So I don't want to say like everybody listening to this, oh, you would get really, that would be horrible for you to just eat, you know, steak all, for all your meals. Cause some people might thrive on that. However, I would say most people are going to do best where they have a diet that is rich in a lot of different colorful fruits and vegetables, healthy meats, grass-fed meats, right? Just a combination approach, being mindful of blood sugar, uh, foods that are higher in sugar, not consuming as much, you know, higher in sugar and starch, consuming a little bit less, you know, consuming a little bit higher amounts of protein, healthy fats, um, and just trying to be mindful of that. And then having a good um, you know, condensed eating window, maybe eight hours or 10 hours in the day. So you're not eating, you know, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. I think most people do well, um, following an approach like that. However, I also have room for some people that, Hey, they just thrive doing, you know, very little, uh, animal protein and lots and lots and, and more grains, right? And I don't want to be dogmatic and say, no, that's going to be bad for every single person. For some people, they seem to do really well on that. Although again, I think it's, it's maybe 10% of the population. And then there's, you know, another side that, you know, they do really, they just plant foods just seem to mess them up and they do really, really well on primarily a carnivore style diet. And so we want to leave room for all of those and kind of, it's a little bit of experimentation to figure out what's going to work best for you. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's very consistent with our approach of, you know, using genetics and history and labs to help guide, but then ultimately it comes down to doing those end of one experiments and figuring out what works best for you and, and doing that in conjunction with your healthcare team. Um, so as we wrap up, I'd love to hear just about what your day-to-day -day routine looks like. Like what, if you're thinking about taking care of your brain, optimizing your brain function, what are the things that you do that have made the biggest difference? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, getting out, getting a lot of activity has really helped. So going out, taking walks in my neighborhood, I exercise six days a week. I do some sort of weightlifting. Although, you know, I, 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 I noticed that doing, 
you know, like 30 minutes is really about 30 to 40 minutes is good. I don't want to overtrain, but getting out, taking walks, being active with my kids is huge. Just getting a lot of activity. Um, you know, right now I'm on a stand up desk as I'm, you know, talking to you. So I, I, if I'm just sitting for a long period of time, I can really affect that, feel that on my brain, my mood, everything gets affected by it. So I try to alternate between sitting and standing when I'm working at my desk, um, try to move a lot throughout the day. Um, getting really good bowel movements early in the day is important for me. Really helps me focus better, have better brain, better mental clarity. So I drink herbal teas uh, when I first wake up. The, the hot water. I also just drink a lot of water. So mm -hmm. I drink just regular room temperature water and then also herbal tea. The warm water helps stimulate your vagus nerve, which activates peristalsis, moves things through. I try to have you know two bowel movements in the first hour, hour and a half of the day, and I really feel just clean and clear at that point. Um, I actually, I do coffee, but I wait usually for two hours after I wake up. The reason why is because I have higher cortisol. Cortisol is a wakefulness hormone. So my cortisol is already elevated when I wake up. And that's actually good. You want to train your body. If you're hitting caffeine right away when you first wake up, you're, tr you're not training your body to naturally elevate its cortisol. So those first two hours, you're going to have a higher cortisol. Then it's going to start to drop and taper down. That would be a good time if you're looking for higher performance to then do a little bit of caffeine, right? To kind of keep that wave going. Um, and so that's what I try to do. And I also, you know, first thing in the morning, I get out and I ground my body, get my bare feet on grass in my front yard. That's I stretch, I pray, um, kind of get my mindset right. Um, I love listening to, I listen to a lot of podcasts for learning throughout, throughout the day. However, for really great brain health and for my mood, I've noticed that listening to like classical music really helps. I actually, mm. uh, the Brave, the Braveheart soundtrack. Oh, it's great. Add on, I absolutely love that. It's like, I could just feel it just stimulating my brain. I get all these memories from the movie that like inspire me. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just really powerful. So I try to turn, put that on, read my Bible. I'm praying, listening to worship music as well has been really, really helpful. Um, so, you know, you got to watch out, like there are certain things that you may enjoy listening to or enjoy doing that you'll just notice your mood. It just takes your mood down, even though it's something you enjoy. So I try to alternate things, novelty and changing things up actually is really helpful for your brain because it keeps your brain adapting. And that's really good for supporting more BDNF. Um, as far as exercise, I usually work out around the middle of the day fasted. And my eating window is typically from between somewhere between 1 p.m. I, I almost never, it's very, very rare that I eat anything before 1 p.m. Um, and I usually eat between 1 and roughly 7 o'clock, right? Somewhere in a six-hour window. One day a week, I do a 20 to 24-hour fast where I, I go from lunch to lunch, right? So it's usually on Wednesday into Thursday. So we're doing this Wednesday afternoon. I ate lunch today. And then I fast until after my workout on Thursday. Um, and I love to, to, after my workouts, cause I work out fasted, I use essential amino acids. So I take amino acids, um, rich in branched chain amino acids, because I really want to make sure that I maintain as much of my muscle mass as possible. I'm working out fasted. Um, so this is just a process I've seen help me really recover well. So I'll do uh, essential amino acids and then I'll follow it up with a protein shake with like some avocado berries, frozen berries in there. I use grass-fed raw milk, um, some high-quality whey protein, grass-fed whey protein, as well as some collagen protein in there. 
And uh, that's usually like my, typically my lunch. And I might have, you know, like a, a little Mediterranean salad with it. Um, and then for dinner, I'm usually eating lots of meat, Mediterranean salads, one of my favorites where I put olives, um, artichokes, uh, cucumbers, bell peppers, hearts of palm, things like that. I put a lot of that polyphenol rich olive oil, lemon juice on there, herbs, um, sometimes some cheese in there. And that's just fantastic. And then my favorite dessert is actually just uh, Greek yogurt mm-hmm. with some protein powder. Like I've got some uh, vanilla or strawberry collagen protein that I'll put in it and berries. And it just tastes absolutely amazing. To me, it's like better than ice cream, right? <laughs> super good. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. And then I really prioritize good sleep at night. I wear mm-hmm. blue light blocking glasses uh, in the evening, try to get to bed early. I wear, you know, dark. my room as dark as possible. I'm wearing an, an eye mask right? Really trying to prioritize really good, deep quality sleep at night. Wow. That's awesome. Well, something we can all aspire to. And thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise, especially when it comes to brain health and ketosis, intermittent fasting, the gut brain connection. Um, we really appreciate it. Where can people follow you or learn more um, if, they sure. want, if they're interested in checking out your books or your website? For sure. Well, thanks so much for your time here, Julie. I really appreciate you and everything you guys are doing at Wild Health. You can find me at drjockers.com. Also, Dr. David Jockers on your social media channels. And I have a great podcast as well. It's the Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast that you can check out. Awesome. We'll check it out. Thank you again so much for your time. Thank you, Julie. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.